So we're in the middle of 50 days of prayer, and this morning I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to a couple of verses that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John. We're in the 16th chapter there, and we're going to take a look at the 23rd and the 24th verse. The words are on the screen. They are also available to you in your Bibles, and... Uh, Here's what Jesus says in those two verses. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. The car David was driving spun out on an icy winter morning and was hit broadside by another driver. David sustained significant head injuries in addition to other internal injuries, and he was rushed to Bronson Hospital. His bride of less than a year, his parents, Siblings and friends quickly gathered in the waiting area. They came to be close to David. They came to lean on one another. They came to pray. On the third day of keeping vigil in the waiting room, I noticed that a couple of David's classmates were off in the corner. I walked over and discovered that they had a map of the United States and another map of the world and they had already identified intercessors in over 40 states and in over a dozen countries that were actively praying for David. Peace comes through prayer. It stills us. Prayer brings us that sense of peace. Prayer helps us come to terms with what really is and prayer, we are told, also releases God's power to change our world. And so, we pray. Prayer is a compelling wonder. Does God really act in response to the request of one or multiple of his creatures? Is God really powerful and personal at the same time? William Carey, who was a missionary to India wrote, pray and expect great things from God. Walter Wink, who is a biblical scholar, writes, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being, end quote. Jesus says, whatever we ask in his name, he will give to us. So anything from relief from a common headache to resolution of the Israeli-Hamas war is on the table. Anything, everything, Jesus just says, we need to ask. At the same time, prayer is also a very confusing mystery. Some people find inspiration from the stories of answered prayer. People who are cured from cancer 
prodigals who come to the faith. George Mueller thanking God at breakfast for food for his orphanage and the 300 orphans in the dining hall where there was no food in the kitchen. And he prayed and there was a banging at the door while he prayed. And on the other side of the door, a baker who had been up since two o'clock in the morning and a milkman with surplus milk to provide for the orphans. Or Monica who prayed for her wayward son for years until he finally came to faith and then became one of the greatest theologians the world has ever known. We know him as Augustine. At the same time, there are people that are very frustrated by those kinds of stories. I mean, we celebrate the healings, but we wonder, why does God heal some and not others? Why do some children come to faith and others seem to continue to wander? Why do some people hear from God and other people get nothing but silence? Why are some prayers answered quickly? And others seem to take generations. Where are our miracles? Where are our answers to prayer? And so we wonder, do my prayers really matter to God at all? Is this text that Jesus says here, is it really true? I mean, after all, isn't it cruel to promise on the one hand that you will answer prayer and then wait for decades in order to provide that answer? As a result, many are skeptical about prayer that it changes anything. Tyler Staten notes that our prayers live between those two extremes, between the amazing and the mystery. Being told that history belongs to the intercessors so that we can have anything that we ask for is wonderful until we start to pray and we confront the questions and the seeming lack of answers. And we're left with doubts and with disappointments. And we wonder where the disconnect is or what's wrong with me or why isn't there an answer? As a result, we tend to play, pray very safe prayers. You know, vague prayers where we don't really know if God has answered those prayers or not. Prayers like, God bless my children. Father, be with John today. Lord, may your church grow. I wondered this week, what would happen if God answered every single one of my prayers that I prayed last week? <laughs> would anything be different this week? Would anything have changed? Would anything be different because of what I had asked for and what God had answered? Sadly, I think the answer is probably not much. Because we pray safe prayers. And the chasm between wonder and amazement and mystery paralyzes us. 
We resonate with the first line of that disciple's prayer, our Father in heaven, honored, hallowed be your name. But we get confused when we get to that next line that says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love the concept of prayer. We love the idea of being able to talk to the God who created the universe. It's the execution that messes us up. Prayer to meditate? Definitely. Prayer as a centering exercise? Essential. Prayer to pause and reflect on our life and our heart? Absolutely. Prayer to bring us a growing sense of peace and comfort? For sure. Prayer to change the world? Yeah, not so much. I mean, look at this promise in John 16. It's a bold promise. It's a promise that is actually repeated rather frequently in the New Testament, in the Gospels, because Jesus wants us to make sure that we know this promise. And it's a promise he never backs away from or backs down from. Listen. Acts, excuse me, Matthew 7, 7, or Luke eleven nine, 9. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Mark 11, 24. I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. John 14, verses 13 and following. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name and it will be done. John 15. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Matthew 21. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Wow. After hearing those kinds of statements from Jesus, it is no wonder that the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, uh, teach us to pray like that. If people saw Jesus pray, if people took those words of Jesus in the New Testament about prayer seriously, I think we would have a hard time getting people, the entire church, to do nothing but pray. But instead, when we invite people to come together to pray, only a handful show up. And I think the truth is, most of us don't really believe what Jesus says in those verses. Prayer is the most profound and fundamental invitation that God offers to us after his invitation to receive his grace. His invitation to pray is not just for the pious. It is not just for the highly motivated, nor is it just for those who are confined to quarters and have nothing else to do. It is for all who follow Jesus. 
Paul invites us to do that continuously. Praying that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven is known as intercessory prayer. All intercessory prayer is for the coming of God's kingdom, for the coming of what's going on in heaven to be present here on earth as well. Intercession comes from the Old Testament Hebrew, pagah, and from the New Testament Greek word, antuxis. Our English word comes from the Latin, intercedo. Together, they mean to impact, to come between, to meet with, to intervene, to mediate, to converse together. We usually define intercessory prayer as praying for someone or something else other than ourselves. The motive, the reason behind all intercessory prayer is our love for God and our love for one another. Intercessory prayer is birthed by our love for God and others, and it invites God to come in and to fill in those spaces in our world where our love may be lacking or insufficient. Intercessory prayer fulfills the great commandment. Intercessory prayer is bathed in our love for God, for his kingdom and his will in our longing to experience his presence in deeper ways, and in our desire that the full power of God may be experienced here on earth exactly like it is experienced in heaven. Intercessory prayer begins with an intentional decision on our part to set aside our personal desires and needs and circumstances for the desires and needs and circumstances of God and of one another. Intercessory prayer is a profound act of love. Richard Foster writes, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. This will lead us to pray. Intercession is a way of loving others. In the ongoing work of the kingdom, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. Most of us are aware of the biblical story. It starts in Genesis 1 with creation. Then we have the fall. Then comes our redemption. It's not only at the heart of the gospel, but that is at the heart of prayer as well. In creation, we get this wonderful picture of what God intended for our life to be. In the beginning, the scripture says, God created Adam. And Adam, by definition, means person or human. And so the Genesis story isn't just God and this, this guy called Adam. It is, in fact, between God and all of us who are even here today. It's the story of God and man. The creation story in Genesis answers the existential question, why are we here? And the Bible provides us with a very simple answer. It says... We are here to rule. We are here to rule. Genesis 1:26. And then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, 
in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. You and I were made to participate with God in partnership, in overseeing, in managing his world, to rule his creation with him in perfect love. We were created to be interceders. The space that you and I inhabit is our assignment. And we are to spread his rule, his image, his dominion to every square inch of God's creation. And then came the fall. Adam and Eve decided they wanted to rule by themselves without being in partnership with God. And the result of the fall was it changed how we lived. It brought for us a new reality. It changed everything. With the arrival of sin, everything went wrong. The environment was stressed. Resources were hoarded. People were abused. Self-centeredness and selfishness proliferated. But the biggest thing we lost, Scripture says, was the right to be co-rulers co-managers, partners, and intercessors with God. In seeking to be self-centered, independent rulers, we lost all rights and ability to rule. By submitting to the serpent's deception, Satan came in and usurped our role and our responsibility, and we became paralyzed. When someone is paralyzed, the brain and a part or parts of the body are disconnected. Communication between the two is lost, and the devastation is often significant. In our fall, in our relationship, our communication with God was severed. The devastation has been significant. We continue to carry the image and the authority of a perfect, loving God, but we are paralyzed by this communication breach. We still notice the world's dysfunctions, its sufferings, it's pain, it's injustices, it's oppression. But now we lack the ability to set our world right, to rule, to intercede, to make a difference. But after the fall, God provided us with an amazing promise. And although that promise is first offered in Genesis 3 in the 15th verse, it's the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6, that clarified it perfectly for us when he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the rule, will be upon his shoulders. You see, God promised personally to come down to earth to be one of us as a child to be born. And the government is upon his shoulders, is ruling language. This is about the authority that God once promised to us, is now coming in the person of Jesus Christ to come back to earth, to win for us the role that we lost, to repair that communication breach that we severed, to reestablish the relationship that we had when we were created to co-rule with Christ. So Jesus came to restore that partnership our ability to communicate, and our right to intercede. In John chapter 12, in the 31st verse, Jesus says, Now, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince, now the ruler of this world will be driven out. That was Satan 
Jesus named Satan as the ruler of the world. He used Genesis language. And Jesus promises to come and to drive him out and to return our rule. He reiterates that Genesis promise. That happened when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. That happened when Jesus was buried and three days later rose from the dead. That happened when Jesus ascended into heaven and took his place at the right hand of the Father. Jesus won back the authority that God gave to us and we lost in the fall. Do you remember what Jesus said just before he ascended? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been now given to me. Therefore, you need to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey, that is, to submit to my rule in every way that I've commanded you. So Jesus won our authority back. And now he gives us his spirit to make us intercessors once again. I tell you, he says in John 16 in the seventh verse, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not be able to come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then a few verses later in our text, Jesus adds, in that day, that is, when you have received the Holy Spirit, you will no longer need to ask me anything. I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask if you do it in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Jesus is talking about prayer. About the path God has made inviting us back to his original plan. Prayer is the way that God provides for us to rule with him. To co-manage this world by interceding for one another and for our world. So Jesus tells his disciples, until now you have not really prayed. Not like it was originally designed for you to pray because you haven't been able to do this in the past. But now, after what I have done, now when you go to the Father and when he sends you his spirit, you will discover, rediscover, re-embrace your rule and your partnership and you will be able to pray in my name. You will be able to pray under my authority and under my rulership. And our, yours and mine, original rulership in this world will be returned to you because of what Jesus did. Through prayer. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray acknowledging our recovered authority. Now that's also for many of us, seems like a tagline that we have used at the end of our prayer, in Jesus' name. And sadly, I think it's increasingly missing from a lot of our prayers. The truth is, it's not a magic formula. It's not a bit of supernatural firepower. It is the affirmation of Jesus' victory and Satan's defeat. It is the recognition that we again have access to the same Father that Jesus has access to. It is the declaration that we are once again rulers. We are once again co-managers with God because of what Jesus has done. Larry Hurtado says, to pray in Jesus' name 
means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favor and invoke Jesus' standing before God. Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, says, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder in this world. Corey Tenboom, the Dutch Holocaust survivor, said, when Christians have meetings, the devil smiles. When Christians make great plans, the devil laughs. But when Christians pray, the devil trembles. You see, when we pray in Jesus' name, we accept our role as co-rulers. We are asking for things that are consistent with Jesus' character, that are aligned with his mission in this world. We are praying for what is on God's heart and for what advances God's will and builds God's kingdom. And we are willing, as Jesus was, to submit our will to his Pete Gregg writes, intercession is impossible until we allow the thing to break God's heart to break our heart as well, end quote. You see, when we engage in intercessory prayer, we are loving others with the full storehouse of heaven's resources. We are co-rulers with Christ in how those heavenly resources are to be distributed. And we have that conversation with God in prayer. Intercessory prayer raises our consciousness of heaven's resources and earth's needs, of heaven's order and earth's disorder, of heaven's grace and earth's sin. Intercessory prayer restores our world and God, our God-given identity, what was first breathed into us. In intercessory prayer, we are actively engaged in restoring creation and our rule. One day, that restoration will be complete. Satan says the worst kept secret in all of church history is that Christians don't really like to pray. He says many still pray. He says most Christians pray today out of guilt or obligation or knowing that it's supposed to be good for us or as a response to the fact that God commanded it. He says for many, it's the spiritual equivalent of eating celery. Now, I'm not sure I should have said that in Hudsonville, but understand Staten said it. I didn't, okay? But many, like Jesus says in the text, have never really prayed. They've never really asked for anything in his name. They've never boldly come before the Father knowing that they are wearing the robes of an heir. Asking boldly as a child of God, carrying the status and the standing of Jesus himself before the throne. They never tap the riches that are available to us in the heavenly vault for the sake of others. They never considered themselves to be a ruler of anything, let alone all the earth. They never pushed back on the fall curse and declared our world belongs to God every square inch. Wait a minute. Is that prayer? Well, if that's really what prayer is, maybe 
Maybe I could wake up a few minutes earlier for that. Or maybe I could spend a few moments during my lunch hour for that. Maybe I could even skip a meal now and then for that. Now, please understand, God doesn't need intercessors to manage his creation. He is not the least bit overwhelmed. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is completely outside and oblivious of time. He's got this. You see, God doesn't need intercessors. The glory of this is God chooses to co-manage, to co-rule, to restore the world using us, image bearers of him as intercessors. He wants us to ask. Because asking underscores the relationship. We are co-partners together. Asking means that we trust the one that we're asking. Asking is an expression of faith. Asking means we are intentionally and thoroughly involved in his kingdom's coming and his will being done. And so we're back where we started. If God gave you everything you asked for in the last week, What would have really happened? Anything? The text, the word of Jesus turns up the heat, if you will. Remember, you and I are rulers. You and I are co-heirs with Christ. You and I are managers of heavenly resources that God has designed to make a difference here on earth. Imagine if we took Jesus' invitation to pray seriously. What might happen? What might happen in us? What might happen in Georgetown Church? What might happen in this community? Isn't it worth finding out? Churches have a lot of meetings. Truth is, most of those meetings make little difference in our world. A few good old-fashioned prayer meetings would transform a lot of churches. A whole bunch of prayer meetings would transform a nation. History records that it has done that over and over again. God often employs us in the answers to our own prayers. Truth is, that's often how intercession works. Sometimes God will move heaven and earth to answer our prayers, but God always purposes prayer to change the heart and the life of the intercessor themselves. Amazing answers to prayer come both as God's intervention and as his partnering action to reform and work in the one who is ruling, managing, interceding. Intercession is nothing more than our ordinary love combined with sober humility and our availability. So, if an angel came to you today and told you that the very next prayer that you prayed would be answered, at this time, on this day, would you pray it? If that same angel told you if you prayed for that 365 times over the next year, on the 365th day, God would answer that prayer, would you do it? Those who dare to pray, 
those who dare to keep on praying will experience an adventure that comes only to those who labor in intercessory prayer and claim their co-rulership with Christ. So his healing has been slow. And while David still deals with some of the lingering issues, David would be the first to tell you that he is an answer to the prayers of God's people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God who creates someone in his image and allows them to co-rule and co-manage and co-lead his entire creation. You are an awesome God. We can only imagine a God who when those creatures turned their back on him and said, we want to do it all by ourselves, was willing to make a promise to send his one and only son to give his life, to turn us around so we could face the father once again and to receive his gift of being co-rulers, co-managers, intercessors with him. Father, that's a gift. And we confess we have all too often taken it for granted. Encourage us. Make us bold. Answer our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.